Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, my name is Lynn Van Hofwagen, for those of you who don't know me. And this is my first time preaching, so the butterflies did start this morning. I am um, I'm in taking a CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education, which is a pretty intense program um, that requires a lot of reflection, and um, both on, on self and um, of experiences. So it's been very worthwhile, and it's been pretty intense, and it's been an, a great experience. So um, one of the requirements is that I preach. So here we are. (laughs) So I'd like to start out by asking the kids to come and help me. We might have a couple who might have known this was coming. Come on, kiddos, come and help. Come and just gather around a minute, okay? Oh, yay! I'm so excited. So many of you are coming. That's so awesome. Oh, you guys are great. Come so you can kind of see this rock. I want you to be able to see. I want to show this to you. Can you so you can come here? Come around and more, Lily. Yep. Come and stand right. Can you all see this rock? Here, I'll hold it up. Can you see this rock? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a candle in it. Yes. How many candles? Three. Yes. Yes. Can you tell how heavy it is? How heavy is this? Really heavy. It's really heavy. Can you tell how heavy it is? Really light. You are a strong boy, that's why. It's really light. Yeah, oh, there you go. So I really like this rock. Why do you think I might like this rock? Chapter 9, and this will also be up on the screen if you would like to read along. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? As he passed by... He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. When no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and I see 
Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say you see, we see your guilt remains. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Feel free to sit down. May it be a pleasing offering to him. Father, you put this passage of scripture on my heart some weeks ago, and I trust that you have a purpose for that. And ask that the words spoken today are from you. I ask what needs to be heard will be heard. What does not need to be heard will fall away and forgot, be forgotten. We're here in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So I thought about just reading scripture the whole time because what can speak to us better? But so I just couldn't find a place to stop that great story. So first of all, let me issue a disclaimer. This is a really tough passage in several places. And can we just all agree that there are things we do not understand about God's ways, right? We just, some things are just unanswerable. And here we have the disciples, the people who physically walked with Jesus, and they didn't have it all figured out. We at least have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. At the time of this story, they didn't, the disciples did not know 
how Jesus would suffer and die and rise again. We've got a bit of an advantage there. The Gospel of John, written by the self-proclaimed beloved disciple, weaves several strands right from the beginning, using words like the, the word, light, life, and soon reinforces that with the addition of things like believe, glory, truth, true light, eternal life, love, and using metaphors like good shepherd and vine. Jesus reveals divisions of the people over who Jesus is with the seven I am statements that um, Jesus stated. I am was implying an echo of God's name given in Exodus. They are, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate for the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine. To this day, the I am statements force us to ask, is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the bread of my life? Do I live by his light? Do I enter through him as the gate to salvation? Or do I keep trying to rescue myself? Do I trust him to shepherd me? Do I depend on his resurrection? Or do I keep trying to lift myself up? Do I let him be the way for me? Or do I want to live my own? Do I want my life to be my own? Is he the truth by which I discern right and wrong? Is he my life? Or do I use things that entertain me or keep me busy to bring me life? Do I abide in him, cling to him as a branch to a vine and draw my spiritual nourishment from him? Today I want to focus on Jesus saying he is the light of the world. In chapter 8, just before the story we read, Jesus proclaims he is the light of the world, John 8, verse 12, and that whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I find it really interesting that he soon comes across a blind man, a man who was born without the ability to see. He had never seen the light of day. And the disciples' first immediate question was, whose fault? Whose fault is this man's blindness? Did his parents sin? Did he sin before he was even born? You know, what they were really asking is who's to blame? I think this is often where we get stuck, too. Um, When something bad happens, we want to know who is at fault and where to place the blame. Have Have you noticed that one of the ways we do this is to immediately want to know the details? You know, who was who was driving? Who was in the wrong? Why are they sick? Did they take care of themselves? What's their family history? What's their diet? Do they drink? Do they drink pop? Or worse, diet pop? Yes, I drink the poison, diet Coke, on occasion. These are, albeit, unintentional ways of asking who's to blame. A wise young woman with training in psychology told me not long ago that the reason we ask those questions is because we really want to know how we can avoid that from happening to us, to my child, to my family, to me. Ouch. I thought it was because I cared about them and that I was interested in them. But I think, I think there could be some truth in it. I will confess that we did this 
when our daughters were diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. Where did this come from? There's no family history of this. Is it because our kids grew up on too much boxed food? <laughs> Was the era. Is it because I didn't breastfeed? <laughs> I know, that's scandalous today, but it wasn't a big thing then. I was ignorant of the benefits. <laughs> you know, this man's parents may have prayed for a healthy child. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I feel like this is a matter that goes to the core of what we believe to be true about God. Do we view God as Santa Claus in the sky? Um, presenting him with our, our wish list by prayer. You know, he knows who's naughty or nice. Or worse, do we view praying to God a little like playing a slot machine in the sky? It pays out once in a while. But for the most part, the odds are against you. When we suffer, when our prayers go unanswered, when life is hard and painful, we cry out, why, God? Why do I have to go through this? Why don't you fix this? Are you even hearing my prayers? Why should I bother praying when you don't give me what I want? When we go through great difficulties, we call on each other to storm the gates of heaven with prayers for healing. And when that doesn't happen the way we prayed, we are confused, maybe angered. It rocks our faith. And we wonder if God is really any good at all. I wonder sometimes, though, have we bought into a spiritual trap of the health and wealth prosperity gospel? We want life to be formulaic, right? If we do X then God will do Y, and I will get what I want. Are we back? I'm so sorry. That was such a good illustration. <laughs> we want life to be formulaic. If I do X and God does Y, then I will get to do or have or be this, whatever this is. You know, maybe it's a happy life, a fulfilling role in life, or healing from an illness. But life is not an if-then equation. In fact, there's nothing in Scripture, or in my experience, that even hints at such a thing. The Bible is permeated with pain and stories of great suffering by really faithful people. Look around. We live in a really fallen and broken world. Yes, a sinful world. And this brokenness causes a lot of pain and a lot of evil in the world, in our lives, and this causes darkness in our lives. Going back to the root of the disciples' question, and it's not a dumb question. I get where they're coming from. Jesus would still have said that the blindness was a result of Adam's sin, a result of this fallen and broken world. We know that suffering is a result of sin, but not specific sins for specific suffering. And there are, are certainly consequences related to sin that we have to live with, but in this story, in this story, Jesus disconnects the sin from the blindness and points us to something much greater. There are bigger problems with getting stuck in questioning God's goodness, and all are damaging to our spiritual formation, hindering our walk with God, blocking out the light. Who sinned? Who is to blame? 
I feel like Jesus is just holding up his hand and saying, don't go there. It's the wrong question. Perhaps there are better questions, like why did John choose to tell this story? Why is it still here 2,000 years later and we're talking about it? What does God want us to see? What can we learn from this? Jesus wants us to understand something about God. God works will be revealed through this. Don't get stuck. Stay with the story. Are you with me? You know, we don't know how far the man had to walk to get to the pool of Siloam. We know that Jesus was coming from the temple. And if Google Maps is accurate, it would be about a 16-minute walk from the temple to the pool of Siloam. Imagine what it was like for a man blind from birth to feel his way along the streets. He probably had to descend steps to get to the water. What was he thinking? What was he feeling? Was he hopeful? Or was he just wanting to get the mud off his face? You know, we really don't know. But we know he saw the light. We know he was pretty excited. His neighbors didn't want to recognize him. They had to recognize him. They didn't want to. He kept saying, I am the man. It's me. I can see. Can you imagine his excitement? His awe of everything that he could now see? What would you be feeling if you had been there to see this happen? The video clip, please. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. Teacher, whose sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his own or his parents' sin? His blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents' sins. He is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him. As long as it is they, he must keep on doing the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. And no one can work. <laughs> While I am in the world, I am the light for the world. <laughs> After he said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes. Go and wash your face in the pool of Siloam. This name means scent.
So the man went, washed his face, and came back, seeing. His neighbors then, and the people who had seen him begging before this, asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? He's the one. No, he isn't. He just looks like him. I am the man. How is it that you can now see? The man called Jesus made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and told me to go to Siloam and wash my face. So I went, and as soon as I washed, I could see. Where is he? I don't know. Later on in the story, when the Pharisees are questioning him, the no longer blind man calls them out. And, and I like how it's phrased in the NRSV version in verse 30. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. I love that word astonishing. Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus has permeated the darkness with his light. And this man, blind from birth, could see so much more than the Pharisees or even the disciples. And here is Jesus telling us he is the light of the world, telling us our suffering is not meaningless, that God will be glorified in it. Jesus has permeated the darkness with light. When we are so focused on our own pain, our disappointments, our anger, our doubts. It can be harder to see the light of Christ. When we get stuck in the blame game, we miss the astonishing thing that God does. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Yes, there is hope. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. See, I am making all things new. And surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me be clear, God's desire for you is not for you to suffer. It is the evil one that comes to kill and destroy. God's desire, God desires an abundant life for you, and he wants us to pray. Jesus wants to heal us of our spiritual blindness. He is present even when we don't get what we pray for. He said immediately after commissioning us, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He wants to give us the gift of seeing his presence. His disciples couldn't see because they were too busy trying to figure out why. So can we trust God? What does that look like? Could our pain be a way to see Jesus with us? There is hope in suffering. 
than when I don't have the answers, which is very often. I just have to turn to what I know to be true about God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. In Matthew, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now remember that Jesus is the smartest man who ever walked the earth. (laughs) He is worthy to follow, and he wants to help us pull the load. John 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And my, my personal and current favorite from 1 John, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I loved that one of your kids said that. Wow, great teaching. There is a good reason Arise chose living in the light of Christ as our vision statement. Living in the light of Christ gives us hope. It gives us a path to walk. It shows us the way to an abundant life, eternal life. So there is the vision, living in the light of Christ. What a beautiful picture. I think many of us have that intention. We want to follow Jesus. We want a light. We want peace in our lives. We want spiritual growth. But how? Life can be hard. Life is hard. So how is that possible? But by the grace of God, of course. And and I don't want to should anyone, um, but I ran across this recently from John Ortberg. Should... Is a, is a really important word for our spiritual growth. But God's plan for your life is not that you obey him even though you don't want to. Ultimately, he made you to want his plan for your life. So how can we know God's plan for our lives? We need to train God helping us. Craig talked about implementing everyday rhythms last week. Sheer willpower will not do it for most of us. Implementing habits into our lives for the purpose of spiritual growth will be far more productive than the pattern many of us have of try, fail, try harder, fail again. And I will argue that habit eats willpower for lunch. I am not suggesting a Christian form of self-help or self-improvement. Grace is always a gift from God. But we have to turn up to receive and open his gift of light for our paths. You know, another word for this is discipleship. Um, 
apprenticeship. We are being formed by our walk with God. And this really takes a lifetime. Please don't hear what I am not saying. I am not advocating a form of works righteousness. But we know our own human nature, right? We know that practice works for so many things. Practicing makes us better at whatever it is we want to get better at doing. Soccer, baseball, dance, running, workouts, healthcare, math, reading, preaching. What would it look like if we implemented the same disciplines we use for our schedules, jobs, workouts, around our own spiritual formation? We all get a spiritual formation, you know. It's just a matter of what it is we're being formed by. How is God inviting you to be more like Jesus? This is like Jesus saying to you, rethink how you're living your life in light of your opportunity to start living with me today in my light. What habits can we instill in our daily lives to be reminded that like the blind man, we are now walking in the light of Christ? I'll share just a few ideas from those I have great respect for. Um, One man on his drive to work each day visualizes the cross on his left and the empty tomb on his right. What a great way to remember that Jesus has conquered sin and, and darkness, and we can live in the light of the risen Lord. Another, before getting out of bed, before your feet hit the ground, recite meaningful scripture, perhaps Psalm 23 or the prayer Jesus taught us. Um, For those of you who are morning people and jump right out of bed praising Jesus, you don't need this one. But for those of us who are slower movers in the morning, it takes a while for the brain's flywheel to catch. This is really helpful. How about setting reminders on your phone to tell you that you are walking in the light of Christ? Maybe setting a reminder that says you want to walk in the light of Christ. Scheduling time for silence and solitude to listen for the voice of God. Yes, schedule this time. I personally live by my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it's not going to happen. Setting intentional time aside has become really important to me in recent years. Practice the skill of listening well. Work at not forming what you want to say next while the person you are listening to is speaking. It's harder than you think. Read or listen to scripture. Memorize sections of scripture. I am personally terrible at memorization, but I'm envious of those who do it well. And I've seen the impact it has. My aged father, in all his dementia, to his last days of coherency, could recite with conviction the answer to this question that he had memorized as a young man. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew its truth deep within himself, and that was a beautiful lesson for me, that meditating on truth is so important in our daily lives. Worship team, if you'd like to come forward, finishing up. So if you would like prayer, um, I feel like I've laid some heavy stuff on you today, judging by how you're... Does it always look like this, I'm wondering? (laughs) If you would like prayer, you'd like to talk to someone about this, our elders and prayer team are are available. Um, Could you please stand if you are an elder or on the prayer team, just so people know? Look around. Yeah, yeah. These people are available to pray with you and are happy to do that. 
All of you, please stand for the blessing from number six and a closing prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn towards you and give you peace. Father, we embrace your goodness. Give strength to those who suffer. Give compassion to those who suffer less. Make this church a place for all. Amen.